Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. We are offering three separate conversations from Wednesday night's episode, New Lessons from Leads, Streamlining Non-Invasive Testing Algorithms. This conversation discusses a model Ian Rowe has built to explore the relative value of liver disease efficacy versus impact on cardiovascular morbidity and mortality in making therapeutic decisions about liver drugs. Listen to hear the details. But Ian comes to the conclusion that FDA is taking the correct path and assigning safety a larger role in drug approval process discussions. Ian's model reveals several interesting nuanced findings. You'll want to hear this. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. Every week, a global community of fatty liver disease stakeholders comes together to explore the most important challenges in diagnosing, treating, and developing medications for patients with fatty liver diseases. Join hepatology researcher and key opinion leader Dr. Stephen Harrison, liver wellness advocate Louise Campbell, pricing and forecasting guru Roger Green, and this week's guest, hepatologist and hepatology researcher Dr. Ian Rowe of the University of Leeds, UK, as they discuss some findings from Dr. Rowe and his colleague, Dr. Richard. Parker that confound conventional wisdom this week on the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. Why don't you talk about your model, Ian, and some of that's showing? Because I think that the issue of teeing up cardiovascular and liver in the same conversation lends neatly into what you're trying to do with that model. So this is a model that's taken quite a lot of time to fully develop. About 18 months ago, we started talking about how treatments for NASH might be used, or at least we did in Leeds. Obviously, people have been talking about it for a lot longer than that. And thinking about what the benefit to a patient would be with treatment. And I, when I've been here before, I've said of talking about treating the patient, not the NASH, because we know that people who've got fatty liver disease and that's particularly are at risk of death both from liver disease but also from heart disease and extrahepatic cancer and the earlier your fibrosis stage is the lower your risk of liver related mortality and the greater the risk that you'll die from something else and so we set about modeling the effectiveness of treatment so that is how a treatment might reduce the risk of liver related complications and liver related death over the course of a patient's lifetime to try and understand what the benefit to a patient might be. And we did that by stratifying by fibrosis stage, really as a surrogate of future risk of liver-related events, starting at F2, F3, and F4. And then we first did a comparison with what a treatment with a statin might be in a high-risk cardiovascular disease population, which is what our population is. You know, So if you apply the ASCVD score to the whole of the Regenerate trial, use the average characteristics in the study, then the 10-year risk of cardiovascular events is over 10%, which is probably greater than the 10-year risk of liver-related events in the same population, which really illustrates the scale of the challenge that we have in communicating the risk of liver disease to cardiologists and to the, the diabetes field. But it also illustrates the challenge that a drug that only targets liver disease will have in the same population. So having looked at a statin comparison, what we've then gone on to do is to add the benefit of your drug that's treating the NASH on cardiovascular risk. So by adding cardiovascular risk reduction to your NASH drug, then you can think about what the impact for the patient would be. And broadly, what we see in a typical trial type population starting at the age of 55, that at fibrosis stage two, comparing a 30% relative risk reduction in liver-related mortality and a 10% risk reduction in cardiovascular disease mortality, you get more benefits. You get more bang for your buck by treating the cardiovascular disease. If you do it in an F3 population with the same risk reductions, 30 
50% for liver, 10% for cardiovascular, then liver's a bit better than cardiovascular. And in cirrhosis, treating the liver disease is much better because their baseline risk is much, much higher. And that really illustrates where the benefit of treatment will be greatest and certainly near patient benefit. But it also shows us the problems that we've had to date in drug development because we don't have and don't feel at least very close to a drug that's going to be impactful in cirrhosis in the next, certainly I don't feel it being close in the next five years. And that's really where, you know, my my patients need the greatest help. The other thing that we've done in the modeling is to look to see what would happen if you had a treatment that had a, a cardiovascular liability so that it increased cardiovascular risk. And I think that's particularly important given the data from Regenerate with that small but meaningfully significant increase in LDL. And we know that LDL is important in the development of cardiovascular events. It's probably causal in fact. And you can apply small risk increases. And as the population gets older, their risk of cardiovascular disease goes up. So if you add a very small 5% relative increase in cardiovascular risk onto your third percent risk reduction for liver in F2, then what you see is that in fact that drug causes harm through its increase in cardiovascular events. And that substantiates to some extent the decision that was made by the FDA, I think, in terms of really being sure that the safety of the drug is there, where there's a signal that it might not be before that drug is is, is given its conditional license. So I was playing with your model a little bit, and to amplify that further, by the time you get to people who are 65, um, cardiovascular pretty vastly outweighs liver if I understand how you set your model up right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Louise, how does that align with what you were commenting on before about the unknown unknowns and, and, and really the need to address liver in that context? It borders on, we have guidelines that recommend that for patients with NAFL, they have a two-year cardiovascular review. If we haven't diagnosed the vast majority of people with NAFL, we cannot offer them that two-yearly cardiac review. So therefore, for me, we're not preventing cardiovascular and reducing cardiovascular risk because we haven't diagnosed the NAFL population. And as we know that cardiovascular risk is the largest single cause of mortality in the NAFL population. So if we don't find an NAFL population, we can't address the cardiovascular risk and therefore that is still going to be fueling the mortality rate. So I think that's where I come back to the unknown unknowns because they are the NAFL population with the cardiovascular risk that we can't offer any intervention in because we're just not seeing them at all, which comes back to a more broader range of diagnosing a sick liver, whether it's just high fat or high fat and stiffness, and adding the AST, seeing if it's a fatty liver, and then specialist review to really fine-tune what's going on. But I think for me, it's if we do not find those NAFL patients where we would advise cardiovascular assessment every two years, I can't see us getting ahead of the curve or even catching up in those populations. And we will still see a fueling of cardiovascular death as obesity rises at such a rate that we just, we can't screen what we've got now, let alone the progressive obesity population rise. Did your ASCVD, did you use the ASCVD risk score to calculate the risk of heart disease in a non-advanced fibrotic population of fatty liver patients? No, we didn't. So we used a, so this is a sort of a baseline risk model. So we, we use an incidence of liver-related death each year, and then we estimate the proportion of deaths from heart disease from the total population, understanding 
what the rate of death is from heart disease in the big epidemiological studies. As the models come out, you can see what the 10-year risk of death is in each of the groups from that. So, you know, in the F2 early population, it's less than 10%. You know, in the 65 F3s, it's, you know, 15%, which isn't that far away from the estimated risks that we see in the trials. So a couple things I want to share with you some recent data that was pressed last Monday. So Fruxafirmin actually for the first time showed reversal of cirrhosis in an AFL population. So that was 33% of the cirrhotic cohort that was enrolled after 16 weeks had reversal of F4 disease to F3. That was in line with the non-invasive tests also improving the ones that were done. And and so I think we're on the, the precipice of really beginning to separate out drug development for non-cirrhotics and drug development for at least well-compensated cirrhotic patients. I think the decomps, those that are child B, are a completely different animal. But but it may be that, that we're on, we could get on a path to finding something to stabilize cirrhosis and potentially reverse it within that five-year time period, if not sooner than what you mentioned. For non-serotics, if you have a drug that's well tolerated, very safe, gets at NASH, gets at fibrosis to some degree, but has a significant extra hepatic benefit, meaning atherogenic lipids are improved, lysemic control is improved. To me, that that kind of crosses both of those risks, right? So now I'm, I'm targeting the ASCVD risk as well as the fibrosis progression risk. So that to me would be kind of the way I would approach this in drug development. You know, I would want a drug that, that gets after, if I'm in an, in an F2 or milder population, it's just as important. You know, we used to think that, well, we didn't want a lot of side effects, right? We don't want to raise LDL. We don't want to have a lot of itching. We don't want to raise triglycerides. Uh, we don't want to have a lot of diarrhea and vomiting and pancreatitis. But but maybe the real message is if you're in an F2 or lower population, yes, it would be nice to slow disease, maybe reverse it, but you, you really need to be something that's more holistic in your approach to management of these patients, something that really gets after atherogenic lipids and glycemic control or at least one or the other. And you need to be safe and incredibly well tolerated. On the other hand, if I have an F4 population or maybe an F3 with risk factors, then I don't necessarily need to have the full Monty wrapped up in one drug. I can get after fibrosis in a hurry and then buys me time, right? I treat them almost like induction therapy, and then I switch them over to something that can tackle the atherogenic risk, etc. Now, the flip side to that, Ian, is the studies like Solonsertib that we've done, the Stellar 4 trial, for instance. The only people that had a CV outcome were those that had cirrhosis. The Stellar 3 population, the F3 population, didn't have any CV outcome issues. So others have shown that it's really... The people at greatest risk for heart disease are those that have the greatest degree of fibrosis. So I wonder your thoughts on that. There's a few thoughts on that. Aren't there? I mean, I think that the sort of the issue about the F2 or, or lower population, you're right, it's not, it's much less about treating liver disease in that population. It's more about treating everything else. You know, you could turn that on its head and say, if you've got a good metabolic drug that also has some benefit on the liver, then that would be preferred. And, you know, I think that's an interesting avenue that could be pursued. The risks of liver and cardiovascular disease as patients become older and more comorbid and more fibrotic is important because those risks are competing. And you see in the, in the model, 
model at least as as time goes on the the incidence of liver related events goes up quite quickly but then it flattens as you know patients get older and their cardiovascular risk increases and that and that risk takes over then the sample size in the stellar three and stellar four is still still really quite small and those patients are very highly selected probably more selected at f3 than they are at f4 because of that sort of need for treatment and and i don't know if you think about the size and duration of the the big trials in the in cardiovascular probably not enough patient years in those studies to draw meaningful conclusions about patients you know overall risk of events and that's something that i hope we'll see as outcome trials continue one of the things that this leads you to is you begin to speculate on what the outcomes in some of the registration trials might be you know if you had a a drug that was good for both in f3 you might actually see that you prevent more cardiovascular events and deaths than you would do liver events in a trial that's designed to target liver disease and that poses significant challenges both for both for us as investigators but also for the regulator or you have a drug like ftf21 where you're seeing at least with the fruxifermin you're seeing improved lipids improved glycemic control modest weight loss in the setting of rapid defatting of the liver and even fibrosis modification so the problem with those drugs is the ae profile so that's not something we're going to give people for years and years because we've learned from the gop1s that you're not going to renew your prescription that often because of the the ae profile we hope you have enjoyed this conversation if you have any questions or comments about it or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingmash.com. We are releasing two other conversations from this episode. We will release our next episode on Wednesday, April 7th. Our guest will be Dr. Alina Allen of Mayo Clinic, who will discuss some of her work on the value of MRE in predicting three to five year progression for both cirrhotic and non-cirrhotic patients with NASH fibrosis. It's an excellent groundbreaking paper with importance for lots of the issues we've been discussing recently. So I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe. See you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.